0: Good morning, let's stand to our feet. <clears throat> I want you to pay close attention to this psalm as we get ready to go into praise and worship time here. It's a pretty powerful psalm that the Lord offers us. And I, when I read it this morning, I was, couldn't help but weep when I thought about it. It says, uh, We have heard with our ears, O God, our fathers have told us the deeds you did in their days and days of old. Now I want to challenge every grandparent and parent. What do you talk about at home? I mean, it's okay to talk about other things, but we certainly should be telling our children and grandchildren how good God's been to us. And, and all the things He's blessed us with and how He takes care of us. He says, you drove out the nations with your hand. You drove out the nations with your hand, but them, speaking of his people, you planted. You afflicted the peoples and cast them out. For they did not gain possession of the land by their own sword. He's talking about his people. We didn't get here on our own. God brought us here. He's opened doors. He shuts doors. He takes care of us. He says they didn't get possession of the land by their own sword, nor did their own arm save them. But it was your right hand, who is the right hand? Jesus. Your arm, the light of your countenance, because you favored them. And we find favor with God through His Son. It says, "You are my King, O God. Command victories for Jacob. Through you, we will push down our enemies." Notice how that's said through Him, and that changes the whole perspective when you get in the New Testament. If you understand that everything is in Christ. That's where we get our benefits in Christ. Not by our own strength, not by our own merits. Through your name we will trample those who rise up against us. For I will not trust in my bow, right? Some trust in chariots and horses, right? For I will not trust in my bow, nor shall my sword save me. But you have saved us from our enemies and have put to shame those who hated us in God we boast all day long and praise your name forever your wife ought to hear that coming off your lip that's her husband she ought to just come outside and catch you talking about how good God is they ought to hear that at your dinner table your children your grandchildren your husband ought to come in and catch you whatever washing dishes or whoever washes dishes has I'm going to get in trouble here now or maybe the wife's taking out the trash because the man won't. No, I'm just kidding. And all the way out to the trash can, she's praising the Lord. Whatever. But people in our circle ought to hear us praise the Lord. They ought to hear us giving God credit. And nowhere is that more important than with our children and our grandchildren. Say it with me. Some trust in chariots and horses, but we trust in the name of the Lord. Let's give Him praise this morning. let it out, amen, when we walk out of these doors faith comes by hearing and hearing of the word of God the Bible doesn't say that about anything else it doesn't faith don't come from a good story, the Bible said it don't even come from a miracle faith comes from hearing the word of God even when those people in their moment were needing something from Jesus they had to believe what he was saying That's how they got it. Just in that moment. She said, yeah, but the dogs. That was belief, right? And she proved her belief, the other lady did, by touching the hem of his garment, right? Over and over, we see people taking Jesus at his word. Faith comes by hearing and hearing of the word of God. If your faith is not where it needs to be or if it's not growing, that's the problem. And you can... We, we should be the most people. this generation should be full of faith more than any generation before us some said, yeah but we don't see the lepers getting cleansed. that's not what the Bible said the Bible didn't say your faith grows when you see a leopard cleansed the Bible says your faith grows by his word faith comes by hearing and hearing of the word of God we live in a generation now that we got Bibles everywhere they're trying to kick the Gideons out I know but we got them everywhere We got Bible on CDs. We got Bible on cassettes, if you're old enough to remember what that is. I still got some on cassette. We got Bible on apps. In other words, you can listen to it. And in fact, that's how the Bible says it. You know why I listen to the Bible so much? Because faith comes by hearing and hearing of the Word of God. And that increases our faith. You... If you're going to if you want to live a roller coaster existence in your Christianity, then just stay away from the word. But if you want to grow in your faith and be stronger and stronger and stronger, the Bible says that the house of David grew stronger and the house of Saul grew weaker. That's our challenge. That the house of Saul represents the flesh in us. The house of David represents the spiritual man inside of us. We need him to get stronger and stronger. We need the flesh to be going down, down, down. Say amen. Do you trust the Lord? Do you trust Him? Do you believe Him? Do you take Him at His word? Because the Bible teaches us heaven and earth will pass away. Everything we see is going to be gone someday. But His word will stand forever. Amen. Say it with me again. Some trust in chariots and horses, but we trust in the name of the Lord. Give Him praise this morning. Uh, Children's Church is staying with us today. We do have the nursery next door, so if you want to go over to the nursery or take your child over there. Uh, We're going to get into a lot of stuff this morning. If you have your Bibles, turn with me to Romans chapter 5. Romans chapter 5. I want to go, we put some more of these out there. This is the prophetic word that we received on September the 26th, 2020. And this is very specific, what God said to us. And we'll use this some as we study the book of Revelation, and if we introduced that this past Wednesday, though we didn't get into chapter 1 actually, we spent some of our time in Daniel this past Wednesday. So we'll be running a lot of places, you'll get a lot of word in you if you if you listen or if you're able to come on Wednesdays, I know everybody's work schedules are different. But, uh, but if you'll take time to listen to it or if you can get, gather around the radio like the Waltons used to do and listen or... Uh, or watch, I guess you can watch, whatever, or if you can catch it later in the week. But this is a word uh, that I received the day America, Christians were gathering in D.C., and when Jonathan Kahn, who's the Messianic Jew, probably the leader in that realm, not by choice, just the way God's worked it out, uh, broke that vessel like Jeremiah did over our nation, signifying that God had really been uh, disappointed in judgment. One of, the things, one of the words I got just a few weeks ago, and I shared with you, was uh, there's been enough plowing. Been enough plowing. We should be the most increased people in our faith because we have so much access to the Word of God. I want to read this to you one, uh, again. There's some copies out there. If you don't have one, if you lost yours. This is the word I received on September the 26th, 2020. America has missed its day of visitation. Therefore, she will begin to grope as men in Sodom, as the men in Sodom at Lot's door. So you know why people are so blind and crazy. God's given us the answer. The righteous will be strengthened, but the wicked will wax worse and worse. And we're seeing that, aren't we? Going forward, value will be in the things that sustain life. America has lost its way in leading the world to the throne of God. We used to be the front runner of that. The, the protection will remain for those who fully trust in the Lord, but will evaporate from those who trust in themselves and systems of this world. God is coming to the earth, and the earth has not made proper preparation. Soon the world will begin to shake and will start its final descent toward its appointment with its Creator. And then true justice will appear, and no one will be able to escape the appearance of God's glory and His justice. I believe, and after that, we put this, um, what do you call it? What did you say? Hourglass, Hourglass. okay, thank you. Uh, Out here to just kind of let people know we believe our time is short with God's plan. So I want you to be attentive to God. I want you to focus more on God than you ever have. I'm looking at a group of people that maybe everybody in this building is going to heaven. You're ready to meet the Lord. That's great. But we've got a lot of folks. All of us have circles of influence uh, that we need to share Christ and try to win the lost. Let's go to Romans chapter 5. <clears throat> Romans chapter 5. Now, if you remember, when Jesus was talking to Peter, he said, uh, Satan desires to sift you uh, like wheat. And he said, I've prayed for you that your faith don't fail. Now, Peter was getting ready to go in to a, a tough time. He was going to deny the Lord three times. He's going to hear the rooster crow. He's going to go bananas and have uh, horrible speech, uh, cursing and all that. He's going to feel deflated, defeated, all the things that come along with that. If you uh, just thinking about uh, what Peter did versus other people in the Bible, that's probably about as bad as it gets when you deny even knowing Jesus and you walked with Him for three and a half years. That's about as bad a sin as you can get. And he must have felt the weight of all that. We see some of his response in the Scripture. But notice what Jesus didn't do. Jesus did not touch his face. In fact, he told him he was going to. Peter had some pride in him, so he said, Hey, if everybody walks off, I'm in. Right? I'm staying. And Jesus said, You know, before the rooster crows, you're going to deny me three times. Not Peter. He'd get his sword out and whoop everybody. But Peter did do that, didn't he? And Jesus didn't touch all that. He didn't touch his failures. He didn't touch all that, really. He didn't say, I wish you wouldn't do that. Or, you know, He just said, I'm praying that your faith don't fail. Now, your faith, according to John, is your victory. Your victory is not your years of service or how good you are at something, or at least we think we are in God's kingdom. Your, your victory is your faith. So if our victory is our faith, we ought to be spending more time with that than anything. We ought to be increasing our faith, and it don't come from good stories. It don't even come from going to the mission field. All that stuff wanes after a while. I've watched people go to the mission field, come back with 14 squirt guns ready to charge hell wide open. Six months later, they ain't even even in church. That kind of stuff don't keep you. It's good to do all those things, but if you really want to be in there, you need to increase your faith. And your faith needs to be increased, and it gets increased with God's Word. It don't get increased with good stories or goosebumps. And I have all those. Your faith grows by you getting in this book. And hearing God's Word and reading His Word, however you want to do it. Now, here's something that I'm glad about. And we forget this a lot of times because we are Americans. And so we judge everything if we're not careful based on how America runs. But our position overrides our condition. Aren't you glad of that? That's good, that's good news, right? My position in Him, right in Christ, is greater than whatever condition I'm facing today. My position in Christ is my greatest asset, right? I believe. My, my heart saw something and took to it. My mind came in or my soulish man come into agreement with it. And then I took my life... And hung it on that. That's what faith is. Faith is when your heart sees that truth, your mind, your soulish man comes into agreement with that, and then you give your life to it. That's faith. And so our faith can grow the more we see God's Word, the more we see the productivity that comes out of it. We see how God handles things. So, my position, you're going to have, all of us are going to have rough spots in our road. But our position is what we're clinging to. And that's what he's really going to talk about here. Look at verse 1. He says, Therefore, having been justified by faith... That's how you're justified. You're not justified because you grew up in church. You're not justified because you went to Bible school. You're not justified because you went to youth camp. You're not justified because you helped people in the soup kitchen. You're justified by what? Faith. If you start reading your New Testament and looking for faith, it's everywhere... And you're going to see how important it is for our faith to grow. He says, Therefore, having been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Now, we have peace with God, which is the cessation of againstness. In other words, God's no longer against us. God didn't single us out to be against us. But our sin caused us to be estranged from God. He's holy. We were not. And the only way we could be made holy is through Christ. And he talks about all this. He says that we through whom also have access, here it is again, by faith into this grace in which we stand and rejoice in the hope of the glory of God. Now how important is it your faith? John said in, in one of his epistles, he said it's, it's the victory. This is how you overcome the world. It's through faith. Not by anything else, but through faith. And he says this faith gives you and I access To the grace. And we need grace. Amen. We need God's grace. We need it constantly working in our lives. In which we stand and rejoice in the hope of the glory of God. And not only that, but we also glory in tribulations. Are you excited about the battles you face? That that When the guys got released out of jail, out of prison, they went and found their other brothers and sisters. And the Bible said they were rejoicing that they were counted worthy to, us, to suffer on behalf of Christ. Look what it does. It says, and Not only this we glory in tribulations, knowing that tribulation produces perseverance, and perseverance produces character, and character hope. Now this word perseverance is the same word I use a lot. It is this Greek word, hupamone. That's, that's the Greek word that we translate, and we'll go over to James real quick. It's the Greek word that we translate sometimes. Patience, endurance, faithful. Those are all translations of this word when we try to bring it over to English. Let's go to James chapter 1, and let's look at this word again. This is a familiar place where I've really brought it out a lot over the years says uh, in James chapter 1 verse 2, he says, My brethren, count it all joy. And it's the same attitude. You see that? He says, We rejoice, we glory in tribulation in Romans 5. And then James, a different author, saying the same thing. He says, We count it all joy when you fall into various trials. He says, Knowing that the testing of your faith produces patience. is the same Greek word, as we just read in Romans. Now, there's a, Jesus tells us to not enter into temptation, right? He says, pray that you don't enter. Here He says, rejoice when you fall. The difference is between entering and falling. When we enter into temptation, we make a conscious decision to go into it. When we fall into temptation, it's something out of our control. And so He says, knowing that the testing of your faith produces hypomene. But let hupomene have its perfect work, that you may be perfect, complete, and lacking nothing. So this Greek word, hupomene, and we've used all these words to describe it uh, in the English because sometimes we struggle bringing a word over from Greek or Hebrew. But the best, and you've heard me say this before, the best full meaning of this is consistency. Now ask yourself, are you consistent in your Christian walk? Do you have a consistency? I'm not saying perfection. None of us are going to be perfect. But are you consistent? Do you have a consistent time where you get in God's Word? Do you have a consistent uh, time to pray? Are you consistent with God with your checkbook? Are you just hit and miss? Whatever, right? So consistency is what God is calling for here. And He's saying these trials, these tribulations bring out consistency in us. Perseverance is a good word in Romans 5 because that suggests consistency. Somebody who is consistent. This past uh, weekend, yesterday, I watched uh, some, uh, some real footage from Vietnam for a couple of hours. And I watched how these guys took care of one another and were in such horrible situations and how they were bragging on certain guys who wouldn't leave somebody else behind and some of them, it cost them their own lives. It was raw. Some of it was raw, real footage. And some of the guys that had survived was talking about all this, how they had such respect for some of the men they served with because of how they treated others and how they wouldn't leave anybody behind. They were consistent. They stayed there no matter what. No matter what it cost them. Are you in with Christ no matter what it cost you? Though some of your family may walk away, may cost you your job, whatever. Are you that? How deep in are you? Are you married to him? Are you married to him? Is he your groom? Are you his bride? Are you all in? And, that, and, and that's, that's consistency. Not perfection. None of us are perfect. The guy behind this pulpit's not perfect. Nobody I'm preaching to is perfect. If you are, raise your hand. And then we're going to write liar on top of your forehead. None of us are perfect, but we can all be consistent. Listen, when I played ball in high school and college, we had some guys that could not endure very well. They finished, but they, they were always way behind, right? They would run. They just couldn't get there. They couldn't get there on time. And later when I grew up, I asked one of the coaches, I said, how did so-and-so always get across the the line in time, and he weighed back behind all of them. He said, because I had the stopwatch. He said, I determined. You get it? Did you get what I just said? Okay. I said, I get it. <laughs> you know, I get it. But, but at least they endured, right? Endurance is, is, is something we can all do. You may not finish first in the marathon, but you can finish. You may not finish first in everything, but you can at least finish and that's what God's after. He's after people who are consistent and enduring. So, this is what He says knowing that the testing of your faith in James produces consistency. Let's read it like that. But let consistency have its perfect work. Be consistent. That's what God's after. And, it, and the more consistent you are in His Word and with honoring Him and, and, and prayer, then you will have less and less of a roller coaster ride in your spiritual experience. Then he says, let's go back to Romans. It says the same thing in verse uh, 3. He says, knowing that tribulation produces consistency and consistency produces character and character hope. Now, hope does not disappoint because the love of God has been poured into our hearts by the Holy Spirit who was given to us. Right? That, that, the, the witness of the Holy Spirit... Is what makes us understand we're in right standing with God. For when we were still without strength, this is why we were lost, in due time Christ died for the ungodly. For scarcely for a righteous man will one die, but perhaps for a good man someone would even dare to die. But God demonstrates His own love toward us that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Let me tell you something. You didn't get saved, you didn't come to Christ, you didn't get redeemed, born again, whatever you want to call it, by your own strength. God, there was no way out for us. We, and, and, and it's more than just God being fickle. Well, God could have set it up a different way. Now, you, we, and, and we're never going to fully understand this until we get to heaven. God is so holy, we've never come in contact other than when His Spirit moves a little bit We've never come in contact with anybody as holy as God is. And so when we step into that realm, our existence, apart from being clothed in the righteousness of Christ, we wouldn't even survive. I don't think we fully understand what's going on here. So we were without strength. Our righteousness was as filthy rags. And some of these people that we read about in the Bible lived better lives than some of us do by a certain earthly standard, right? They kept the law, they tied their salt, everything. They were all in, many of them. But they still needed a set of new clothes in their closet. You cannot get in. We are righteous, we are made righteous. Because we traded in our grave clothes and took on the righteous robe of Jesus Christ. That's why we're in. You traded in grave clothes. You, it's not a matter of whether God loves you or not. It's a matter of this holiness that He lives in that demands righteousness. He's just that holy. And so God said, I can't bring them into my presence just in their filthy rags. So I've got to make a way for them, and He made a way for us to have His acceptance, our position that overrides our condition once we step into Christ. Now, if you start understanding the New Testament, right? If you got the newsletter this week, if you start... or Yeah, it should have come out. If you get that, you understand that all the promises in Him, in Him, not apart from Him, you know, that's the problem with a lot of religions and denominations. People come in and they start off right, just like the Galatians. They start off right, and then they get veered off into thinking they're in with God because of this, 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 and this, whatever they want to list off. And it happens to all denominations. They get, I'm good with God because of, and then what's that list? And when you say that, and you say, I'm good with God, because the blank should always be filled in with Jesus Christ. That's why you're right with God. That's why you and I are good with God. It's not because you and I have served so long or because we got good at something we think in the church or in that setting. We are good with God because, and the blank should always be filled in with Jesus Christ. That's why I'm right with God. Whether I'm 10 years old or 110 years old, it's the same. I've been brought into good standing with God. I've been reconciled. and That's what he's going to talk about here in a minute. With Christ or with God through Christ, let's go back here in Romans. He says, "But God demonstrated His love toward us while we were still sinners. Christ died for us." That's the good news. Much more than having now been justified by His blood, we shall be saved from the wrath from uh, from wrath through Him. Now that's a good word, right? We're going to be saved. Let's go to First Thessalonians chapter five. Let's look at something else. He says. About this wrath. In 1 Thessalonians chapter 5. Let's look at verse 1. We'll read a few verses here in 1 Thessalonians. We'll go back to Romans. In 1 Thessalonians 5 verse 1 he says. But concerning the times and seasons brethren. You have no need. And we'll dig around on a lot of this stuff on Wednesdays. That I should write to you. For you yourselves know perfectly. That the day of the Lord comes as a thief in the night. Now don't just read that couple of verses. And try to build doctrine off of it. Read the rest of it. Because he's talking to the world first, then he's going to talk to us who were believers. He said, for when they say peace and safety, then sudden destruction comes upon them. Now, the world is in such bad shape in every way, economically, all over the world, inflation's that that we're getting set up for somebody to rise to the top and settle things down. That's going to be the deception. Whoever this Antichrist guy, wherever he's at right now, being groomed or whatever... When he steps up and offers the world some solutions and they buy into it, that's when there's this false sense of peace and safety. Then he says, then, after they say peace and safety, then sudden destruction comes upon them as labor pains upon a pregnant woman, and they shall not escape. Anybody been around a pregnant woman when labor pain hits? I mean, she can be sitting around sipping on a latte and all of a sudden, bam! And the next thing you hear is, get the suitcase, (laughs) right? Just just out of nowhere, right? But you, brethren, look what he says. But you, brethren, are you part of the brethren? Ask your neighbor if they're part of the brethren. He's got a little something else to say to us, right? It drives me nuts to see these uh, high-profile ministers get on TV and act like they don't know nothing about the Lord coming back. And just go along with the world. Well, nobody knows that. and they've been, you know. Look what he says. But you, brethren, that's talking to us, are not in darkness. He was first talking to people who live in darkness. And this is one of the ways we're not in darkness. When God gives us a word, a specific word about things to come. He says, but you, brethren, are not in darkness so that this day should overtake you. He says it's going to be like a thief to them, but not to you. He said, this don't overtake you as a thief, for you are all sons of light and sons of the day. We are not of the night nor darkness. Therefore, let us not sleep, but let us watch and be sober. For those who sleep, sleep at night, and those who get drunk are drunk at night. But let us of the day be sober, putting on the breastplate of faith and love and helmet of hope for salvation. Now look what he says in the next verse. For God did not appoint us to wrath. Again, and if you read the Old Testament and you see how God always brought His people out before He started pouring out His wrath. Now, what we're dealing with right now is the fallout of sin primarily and the devil's wrath. God's not been pouring out His wrath. God's been merciful and kind. We are living in a season of redemptive work. Right now, God's work has been primarily redemptive. But in the middle of that seven years of tribulation, God's going to turn punitive. That's the difference. Right now God's being redemptive. Everything He's doing is trying to bring us, but there's going to be a time where God is punitive. And so when the tribulation period comes and God starts pouring out His wrath, we're not appointed to that, right? We're, we're in a season now where we're dealing with the fallout of man's sin and, and, and Satan's wrath, but God's not really started pouring out His wrath to, over the whole world, but that day's coming. Now let's go to back to Romans. He says, Now now more having been justified by His blood will be saved from wrath through Him. Everything's in Him and through Him. You see that? that? We need to be like little children with that. We need to recognize that every good and perfect gift we have has come from God. Whatever blessings we have in our life have come from Him. For, if we were, for when we were enemies, we were, when we were enemies we were reconciled There's that word, to God through the death of His Son, much more, having been reconciled, we shall be saved by His life. And not only that, but we also rejoice in God. So God's righteousness demands perfection, right? And there's nothing that's just because He's that holy, all right? I'm glad God's holy. Aren't you glad that God can't make mistakes? I'm glad He cannot tell a lie. I'm glad that He can only do righteousness. But God's perfection requires, His holiness requires perfection. So God's dilemma was how to bring those of us who love Him and desire Him, how to bring us into His presence so that we could live forever with Him. So He decided before the world was formed, according to the book of Revelation, that, that Jesus was slain before the foundation of the world. So you got God operating outside of time, right? God does not operate... Inside of time. He, he operates outside of time. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord I caught that. So you, God don't operate in the realm that we operate. I bought God a watch several times for Christmas. It always gets sent back. He will not wear a watch. God, and I'm going to describe this the best way I can. We, this circle is... is The rim, right? God sits on top of the circle. Down here somewhere, at at ground zero, He created a dom. We call Him Adam. And out here somewhere, time's going to be no more. So here's my argument for people who use flawed dating methods to try and decide how old the Earth is. You, when you go back behind Adam into eternity, the universe, you're out of time. You don't, you don't exist, and there are no revolutions. We, we we think of everything with revolutions. God don't live with revolutions. That's why God has an all-seeing eye, and He can see all the way around the circle, right? That's why He can prophesy what's going to happen out here based on our revolutions thousands of years before it happens. But He knew it out here back in eternity. This is what happens when we go to heaven. We slip back into a realm where there's no revolutions, no night, right? We're back into that eternal state, right? So, trying to date things back behind Adam or Adam is impossible, because you we don't the world, God lives outside of the revolutions of time. But this gives God—that's the best I can do for you, because I'm not a scientist. But this gives God the ability to share things before they happen, right? He can tell us he can see all the way around the circle. God is. At the end of the parade, so to speak, right? Everything's already passed by. You get it? I'm trying to give it to you the best I can. Now, the next thing he says, he says, His life not only, but we rejoice in God through Jesus Christ, through whom we have now received reconciliation. Now, this, this word reconciliation, if you've got an old King James Bible, I'm using a new King James, it, it, it will say atonement. The, and I like the word atonement there. But uh, reconciliation is also a good word there. This word is used one time in the whole New Testament. And right there it is, this Greek word. And it's katalega, katalega. And I want to show you something about this word because it's a powerful word. This word has this prefix of kata. I'm trying to write in Greek and English. Kata, it's all one word, but I separated it so you could see that prefix of kata. And when you get in the Greek language, when you take the prefix of kata you, and put it on a word, you take it from a temporary state to permanent. All right. In other words, krino is a Greek word. It means judgment. If I just use the word krino and I say, you got some krino coming, then that's a temporary state. You may have to go to jail for two weeks or two months or whatever. But if I take krino and put kata in front of it, I take it from a temporary state to a permanent state. All right, so when I say you got katakrina coming, that means you're going to hell. (laughs) That's permanent judgment, right? Katakrina. And so in this case, I want you to think about this word. Let me read these lines again. He says in verse 10 For if when we were enemies, we were reconciled to God through death of his son, much more having been reconciled, we shall be saved by his life. This is all the good news, right? (laughs) This is, this is everything I need to know about, my, about the Lord. The reason I can delight myself in Christ is because I was doomed without His provision. So it doesn't matter what I accomplish in this life. If I don't know Christ, I miss the whole reason for existence. If I don't come to Jesus Christ and surrender my life, and, I, and well, Jesus said it better than I'm trying to say it, if a man gain the whole world and lose his soul, what profit is there in that? You didn't bring nothing in when you came, you're not taking nothing out when you leave. So if, if you and I miss Christ, if we miss this new garment that He's trying to give us for these old grave clothes, if we miss The opportunity to delight ourselves, understand that everything, we were doomed without Him. I don't care how much money we have. I don't care how much stuff we have. I don't care how much prominence we have in this world. If you don't know Jesus Christ, if you don't know Him, you miss the whole reason for living. And so God, think about this. I use this and I could preach a whole sermon, but let me just briefly mention this. When you get when you're in the when Jesus is talking about the angels and everything, he comes out with something. He said, "My Father is looking for those who will worship Him in spirit and in truth." Right? Truth is we know is Christ and the Word; they're one and the same. Spirit is being born again, having the Holy Spirit. We understand that, but that's an interesting statement for him to say. He didn't say anything like we might have thought he would have said, being Americans. We might have thought God is looking for people that will really work hard for Him, people that will do this or do that. But the Bible says He's looking for those who will worship Him in spirit and in truth. The word worship comes from a contraction of two words, worth and ship. Now, what have I been saying this whole service, even with the psalm I read? You need to ship God worth for everything. That, that's what worship's about. It's about shipping God worth. That's why in the, in the Scripture, listening to the Word, praying, praying, Singing, shouting, whatever, that's all part of worship. Giving is part of worship. It was all considered a part of worship because when you do those things, you ship God worth. Why would we ship God worth? Because we place value on Him. That's why you're here this morning. You place value on Him. And whatever you place value on, you want to ship it worth. And so that's what God's looking for. God is looking for people who will... Worship Him in spirit and in truth. Now, God, if you can have this, God, uh, Michael and Gabriel stayed with God. The Bible tells us two-thirds of the angels stayed, one-third went with Satan. Everything we can read from Ezekiel and other places, it looks like Satan was the archangel who was in charge of worship. And so if you can have it, God created us to replace His worship team. Satan, he lost his worshipers. Gabriel comes to us in the scripture as a messenger. Michael comes to us as a warrior. And everything we can learn about Satan is somebody who's a worshiper. So God lost his worship leader and he lost his worshipers. God kept his messengers and his his warriors. So he said, I'll fight your battles, right? He said, I'll fill your mouth, right? But what's he looking for? He's looking for that worship, those people who place value on him and ship him worth. And, and they're not hit and miss with Him. They're in with Him no matter what. And they don't have any excuses. I, don't, I hate excuses. If you want an excuse, the devil will hand you one every Sunday or whenever. He'll always be, I'm, I, don't want, I don't want excuses for me. I don't want them for you. Jesus didn't have any for Himself. It's time for the church to get rid of its excuses. What's, more, what's the most important thing to you in your life? Jesus Christ, we would say that, but do we live that? That's our challenge, right? That's our challenge, we live it out. So this word here, he says, (coughs) this word is the only time it's used in the New Testament. It um, It means God brought us to Himself through His Son. He reconciled us to Himself permanently through His Son. That's how everything is in Him. In Him you live and move and have our, our being. Therefore, just as though uh, through one man sin entered the world, death through sin, and thus death spread to all men because all sin. For until the law uh, was in the world, but sin was not imputed when there was no law. Nevertheless, death reigned from Adam to Moses, even over those who had not sinned according to the same way that Adam had done, his same transgression, who is a type of him who was to come. But the free gift is not like the offense. Before, if one man's uh, offense, many died, much more the grace of God, and the gift of grace of one man, Jesus Christ, abounded to many. And the gift is not like that which came through the one who sinned, for the judgment which came from the one offense resulted in condemnation. But the free gift which came for, from many offenses resulted in justification. That's our good news. The word gospel means good news with a reward. For if we by one man's offense, death reign through, the, through one much more, those who receive the abundance of grace and the gift of righteousness shall reign in life through the one Jesus Christ. You've got, you got a great day coming. All of us do. I'm going to show you something. And Paul talks a lot about this in Romans. There's a difference between... Imputed righteousness and imparted righteousness. He mentions mentions the word impute there, and this comes back to our condition, and imparted. And so, imputed means a stamp's been put on you, basically. In other words, when you come to Christ and you accept Him as your Lord and Savior, He clothes you in righteousness. He clothes all of our filthiness, all of our sin. All the stuff we've done. He clothes our lives. That's imputed righteousness. You didn't earn it. You just believed and He clothed you. Now when God looks at you and I, He sees us clothed in Christ, right? Now the journey from here to when God calls you and I home or till the Lord comes back is about this imputed righteousness. Paul uses both these words in Romans, imputed and imparted. The difference is they don't mean the same thing. Imputed is something we've been clothed with, stamped with, right, sealed with. Now, this righteousness that He's clothed me with, He desires for it to be worked in the fabric of who I am. That's imparted. So this righteousness, while I'm getting it imparted, I'm also imputed or clothed with it. This is God's design for you and I. That the, the more we get in His Word, the more we follow Him, that this righteousness gets imputed and starts flooding into the regions of our life. I'm going to close here in just a moment, but here's what the design of the Holy Spirit is. We, we've, we've got all kinds of things we want the Holy Spirit to do, and He does a lot of wonderful things. But His number one job is to conquer you and I. That's it. His number one job is to conquer us. He... Uh, in our lives, his first job is to glorify the Son, right? He takes no credit. Uh, he, he's kind of behind the scenes. He wants to promote Jesus. But in our lives, his whole design is to conquer you and I. You and I need to be conquered. Do you see that occasionally? You see that old nature, that old man showing up and, here, and the Lord coming by and he's using situations, tribulations, trials. He uses those so we can see where we're at. I can gauge where I'm at. I can start gauging where I'm at. I can See, here's, here's God's dilemma. He don't have a dilemma, but here, here's His dilemma with us. We don't cooperate very well until we see what He sees. If we're blind to it, then God allows situations and trials and, and parts of our journey to reveal things to us. Right, And as they reveal Things to us Then they can get corrected Now chances are Because I'm ornery Hard headed Maybe I have a high tolerance for pain Chances are I didn't pay attention to some stuff Right With my heart And because I'm ornery Ask my wife Is she shaking her head yes? (laughs) Chances are I missed a few things. Didn't pay attention, thought it. Just, you know, didn't feel like I was really a candidate for that. But then I got stopped, right, in the middle of my journey. And then they could fix it. But until you see what they see or understand what they understand, I'd already diagnosed myself in the gas station. I'd already done it. Must be dehydrated. I've been at, uh, where's the flag, people? I've been at uh, 8,000 feet elevation. Probably can't breathe very well right now Till I get back in Kentucky. I just had it all worked out, right? Like I remember standing in the bathroom thinking, I must be dehydrated. I've been at that high elevation too long, and everything's just different. And Then bam, right? But once that happened, then I was able to see what they saw. Or at least believe what they told me, right? And said, you got this problem. And so then it could be corrected. That's God's dilemma in our lives. Is that we don't cooperate very well until we see what He sees. So God designs circumstances in our lives... For us to see what He sees. And once we see that, then we can cooperate. Amen? You guys can come to the instrument. Once we see that, we can cooperate. Now, I'm leading into something because uh, John is very skilled at this. We're supposed to walk in the light, right? And God reveals things as we walk in the light, right? then what happens is God turns up the light. If you've watched the process of light over the last 25 or 40 years, we've went from light bulbs to doing surgery with it, to doing Star Wars with it. I mean, that's how powerful light can be. So God don't just... You, you turn on all the light at once because it would overwhelm us. So he takes us on a journey to start l- turning the light up a little at a time so we can see what he sees, right? The house is clean in the dark, right? Till you turn, it, turn the lights on, right? And then you get the step ladder and look on top of that ceiling fan. There's dead squirrels and everything up there. <laughs> Especially if it's way off the ground, you never get to it much. There's dead everything up there. Your, your house, at a certain level, looks like the monsters. Anybody remember them? Where they had the vacuum cleaner that blew the dirt out instead of picked it up. Right? Everything was backwards at their house. And so, But, in, but the more light you bring into... So, and notice how darkness can never stay if there's light. Isn't that powerful? Soon as the lights if if it were dark in any room you were in, as soon as you turn the light on, all the darkness is gone. It cannot stay. That right there tells you who's going to win. Because the devil's in darkness and God is light. And in him there is no darkness at all. Right? That's what John said. So the light wins. Let's stand to our feet. God has put you in a spot here to win. Through His Son. He's offered us the easiest way to live forever with Him. He didn't give us a list of demands. He didn't come down here and say, you got to do this, do this, and do this. He said, All you need to do is be in Him. John fifteen seven says, If my words abide in you, and you abide in me, you shall ask what you will, and it shall be done. That word abide means remain. Stay there. What does that mean? Consistent. Be consistent. I'll leave with this with this uh, example. When I worked in the mines, me and this guy were working over vacation, and we worked about eighty hours that week because we were the only two working, and we had to work a lot of hours to do a lot of maintenance to get ready to run coal when everybody else came back when they all came back from Florida. And so we were trying to shut the plant down, and we couldn't get the alarm to set. And he, w- he was up looking at a connection. I was down. We just couldn't get the alarm. And we couldn't leave without setting the alarm. So finally, I kicked in my Christianity. And I looked at that keypad where that alarm was at. And I quoted John fifteen seven. what I just quoted you. I spoke that over there. I knew God's supernatural power had power over the natural realm. So I just, I believed. And I've been trying to witness to this guy who was backslidden. And this week was just he and I, and he had backslidden on the Lord, and it was a really good week we were having, sharing Christ with him. And so finally, when I spoke that scripture over that keypad, I punched in the code, and it said, which I was excited, feeling good, but I knew God could do it, right? I mean, I just knew He's, He can do anything. So I called to Tim, and I said, Come on down, the the alarm said, and he was Said, he was arguing with me. And you only had like a minute to get out. And I said, please get down here. The alarm set. <clears throat> and uh, finally, he'd come down the steps. He was up two or three stores. He'd come down. The, and he could tell the alarm was set. And I said, let's get outside. And we shut the door and locked it. And I said, <clears throat> I said the alarm set. He said, yeah, I know. He said, but it can't be. And I said, why? And he said, because I've got the connection in my hand right here. He had taken the connection out but he, that's when we prayed because he knew the Lord had done that do you, you think God would do something like that to get somebody's attention sure he would he sends big fishes by he does all kinds of stuff I believe do you believe I believe was setting that alarm worth getting somebody to come back home a prodigal sure it was helped my faith too I can't deny that God's in charge. Whatever is in front of you, He has been around the corner before you and I get there. Father, we thank You for this moment. We pray. If there's anybody under the sound of my voice that's lost, that they would surrender their life this morning. Maybe there's somebody here that's a prodigal, and they need to come home. Maybe somebody watching or listening to this podcast. We just pray, God, that whatever the needs are here, maybe there's relational needs, maybe there's somebody needs a job or move financially or something repaired, maybe whatever. Maybe a child needs to come. Maybe parents are praying for the salvation of a child or a grandchild. We know you're able to do far above what we can think or ask. And I'm so glad you're my God. And I'm so glad that you made a way for me to live with you through your wonderful Son. And I'm so thankful, Jesus, that you obeyed the Father and took my place on that cross. I should have hung on that cross. I'm so glad that you love us with agape for our sakes. If you have a need this morning, this altar's open. You can come pray and speak with the Lord or we'll pray with you whatever you need.